The Chemist House has been one of the most uh, meaningful organizations I really think I've ever been involved in. It's really been my home for the past four years. It feels like a family, like right off the bat. Like everyone's so welcoming and so kind and it just feels like a family. So Campus House has um, helped me through all of the hardships of college, which there are hundreds of thousands. And I know that anytime I need something, this is my home and this is the place that keeps me grounded. <laughs> um, some of my favorite memories are when we were on the Campus House retreat and me and Jessica and Anna Grace were paddling around on a paddle boat just making fun of the boys doing stupid stuff. When the entire Campus House crew came to support me at my volleyball game and they made a, it was my senior night and they made a banner for me and it had my face printed out on it and they all stood up and unrolled it when I finally went in the game. <laughs> it was awesome. It was a great memory. Uh, I don't know, my favorite moments are typically just everybody getting together and just having, you know, like real genuine fun, you know, just like when, when like, you know, nobody cares what everybody else is thinking and everybody's just being super genuine, like especially uh, like retreats or camping trips or something uh, where we're able to be outside together and everybody's away from their phones and everybody's just being themselves. Without Campus House, I would not have my own faith. I would still be leaning on my parents' faith. Um, for better or for worse, I would say that Campus House really is challenged me to um, solidify my identity and it's made me um, think about people and God in my own way, not in my parents' way. So at Canvas House, you don't have to pretend to be anything you're not. You don't have to pretend that your faith is stronger than it is or that you're anything more than what you are. You just have to be who you are and people will help you grow from that, that place in your life. I definitely feel like my faith has grown in the fact that I've realized that Christianity is not something that's just strict legalism. Um, it's more about, you know, like your personal walk with Christ and the fact that, you know, it's, it's not about the rules that you follow, but the life that you live. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to Colossians chapter 3 as we uh, continue our journey through the letter to the Colossians. Uh, we'll ask that uh, you will be praying uh, for me this week. I'm uh, heading up to Lipscomb University, have the honor of speaking at Lipscomb Summer Celebration in a few days. Um, and if you are, have a, a little flexibility in your schedule and can come up to Nashville uh, Wednesday night, Thursday and Friday for uh, the Summer Celebration, a lot of speakers from all over the country will be there. It's a free event. Uh, would love to have you. Uh, you notice the UAB Campus House video on the screen, and I'm excited to share that with you today. Uh, there will be a, a class that actually will be happening right after our worship service today in the tri-room out the hall to my left. And uh, Johnny Leesky and uh, his uh, partner, Chris Rowe, are here. And if guys, if you'll raise your, wave your hand down there so we can see who you are. Uh, they'll be in there kind of sharing about that class. You'll see Johnny and Avery on the screen. And I just wanted to uh, remind you of our, our vision. You know, uh, a few years ago, all the way back in 2013, uh, God placed a, a vision on the heart of, of myself and leadership, and we began to share and communicate that vision and what God was, was doing. We just wanted to get in on it. And one of the things that God really clearly impressed upon my heart was uh, for us as a church family to equip and support uh, what I call a cross-cultural missionary here locally. And so we began praying about that. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know what that was going to turn into. Uh, I was just trying to be faithful and praying about what that was going to mean. And God sent to us uh, Johnny uh, from UAB. He was a student at UAB, uh, played baseball at UAB, 
uh, had a, a mere 90 mile per hour fastball, uh, which I didn't appreciate that until I went to Six Flags a few years ago, and they have that little uh, baseball pitch, uh, you know, uh, game where you can, you can see how, how fast you can throw the ball. And so I get the ball, and I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rev it up a little bit. I'm going to give it a little heat. And I throw that thing in 47 miles per hour. I'm like, I'm like what in the world? You know, so I appreciate guys who can throw at 90 miles per hour now. Uh, but Johnny uh, has been working with the campus house for a few years now, and we as a congregation, uh, support him. Some of the, th the funds that you just gave, that those go to support uh, Johnny and his work at the campus house. And so uh, we're very grateful to have him a part of this faith family, he and Avery both. Um, as we continue in the, our series, I, I really appreciated uh, the video of, and of the campus house students. And one of the things that you noticed, the, the last comment that was made was uh, just talking about uh, that Christ and being in Christ is not defined, the, the, the young man was saying, not defined by these, these rules that I keep, but rather the life uh, that I live. And this perfectly sets up Paul's letter to the Colossians. Because what Paul is trying to do in his letter to the Colossians, he did not plant this church. It was a disciple of his, Epaphras, that, that planted the church in Colossae. And there's some things going on, we can just infer from the text, that there's some things going on that there's some folks that are trying to communicate that, hey, you, 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 yeah, Jesus is okay, but you need to add this. You're not complete unless you do this. And what Paul is trying to remind the church of, and I think it's an important message for us today, is that we are complete in Christ. That we're complete in Him. And so he is, he's saying this over and over. I thank God for you. I'm praying for you. Uh, but continue to live your lives rooted and built up in Christ. And this is the message of the letter to the Colossians, the supremacy, the sufficiency of who Jesus is. And today uh, we get to some verses that have created a bit of stir among Christians and among skeptics alike. A uh, matter of fact, these are some of the verses that are pointed to by skeptics as trying to dismiss the scriptures. And so uh, as we read these today, I, I want us to to read these in the context of what we've been reading for the past several weeks and to try to keep that in mind. And if you missed some of those messages, I would encourage you to go back online and check those out. Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as in fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The one translation says, do not provoke your children. Verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So my guess is that very few churches are tackling these verses this morning. Uh, I don't get many emails saying, hey, you know that whole husbands and wives and wives submit to your husbands thing and, and slaves obey your master. Hey, let's, let's get fired up about those verses. Let's talk about those. I don't get those emails. Uh, but it's one of the reasons that I think it's so important 
for us to walk through a, a letter or a book of the Bible every year. And this has been my practice for the past eight years as your preaching minister. That we, every year, we are going to walk through an entire letter or book of the Bible. Why? Because I believe it's so important. One, uh, my promise to you is that I'm, I'm not going to be scared of any verses in the Bible. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to walk through every one of those. Now, I'm not going to promise you that I have all the answers. I'm not going to promise you that I, I'm, I'm you know, the end-all, be-all on what uh, these scriptures mean. But I'm not going to be afraid of them. I believe in them. And so we walk through those. And when I began to learn, when I began to see for myself that, you know what, that these, these sentences in the, in the Scripture, these sentences in the Bible that, are, that we call verses and the verses and chapters we talked about last week, you know, weren't there when they were originally written. But I'm glad they're there because, you know, I can say, hey, turn to this chapter and this verse and we can do that quickly. But they weren't there. And so what I began to learn is that, okay, the, this sentence is a part of a bigger paragraph. And this paragraph is, is part of a bigger section. And this section is a part of a letter or a book. And this book is a part of a larger story and integrated messaging system that, that all fits together. And so when I began to learn that, I, I wanted to, to just acknowledge to myself, hey, that, that was a game changer for me. It was a game changer for the way that I, I viewed the written word of God. And it was a game changer for the, the way that I lived by following the living word of God, Jesus Christ. And so my hope by going through you know, scripture this way, at least once a year that we walk through a letter or a book, is that, that you begin to see the bigness, the picture, not just these isolated Verses that maybe we have looked at many times over our life. So with that being said, uh, you need to know that I, I enter into today's message with humility. Uh, because I, I realize, I, I trust God's spirit has placed some things on my heart that will be helpful to us. So I want to begin uh, with this question, just as we dive in. And that is, uh, what is the good life? I just want you to think about that. How would you respond? If I were to ask you, what's the good life? What would be your response to, to that question? Uh, for some of you, uh, it may be this picture on the screen. Uh, I Googled, what is the good life? And this is the picture that came up. Uh, sitting on the beach, you know, with somebody and the sunshine and, and just a, a picturesque kind of deal and sun setting and all this kind of stuff. And, and some of you may be tuning in right now from the beach and God bless you. We wish you were, we were with you. But, but this is what some people think about when they think about this is the good life. I don't know what picture comes to your mind. This is the, the Google picture, but I don't know what things you think about when you think about the good life. But when we talk about contexts, and this is why I'm leading up to this, that in the Greek and the Roman world, in the Greco-Roman world, that philosophers would reflect on these kind of questions and they spent a great deal of time trying to think about and considering what constituted the good life. And somewhere in that discussion would often come about, okay, well, what does it mean to have a good home? And so that would be a part of their conversation. And so when you're just thinking Greco-Roman world, this, this was a part of the conversation. And somewhere in that discussion, this would come up and these things became known as household codes. And so the power differential between uh, 
husbands and wives and, and parents and children was, was very, was, was there. And these, these codes were not necessarily so much about gender as they were about power. And so when you read this text that we just read, what do you see? What do you see in the differences? You see wives and husbands. You see children and parents. You see slaves and masters. And what's being referred to is this power differential that would exist in this culture, in this context, in this day. And the power differential between them was thought to be necessary for what? It was thought to be necessary for social stability. So in this passage, Paul uses the household code form. Again, context, the Roman Empire relied on these forms. Uh, Paul could have issued some rules outside of the form, but instead he radically adapted the form to make it what? To make it profoundly Christian. So he doesn't leave. Some people say, well, why does, why does Paul kind of keep to this form? Uh, well, he doesn't completely leave the form. Uh, to do, do so in that context would have immediately dismissed some things. But what he does is so profound because he, he adapts this form and, and he makes it not something that's under Roman law, uh, but he makes it something that's under Christ. And so it's kind of hard to imagine being a possession rather than a person, isn't it? But under Roman law, if you were a woman, a child, or a slave, uh, you were viewed as a thing often to be owned. So it's important for us, even in our study of the text, to go back to the very beginning, the Genesis story. And we go back to God's divine creation and design, and we see how God's love is displayed even in the creation story. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 God said, let us, talking about himself as a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, he says. And then in verse 27 uh, of Genesis 1, he says that, that you know, hey, let's, let's make the image of God be in male and female. God created mankind in his own image, the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And this is the first thing that I want to say to us today is things that I want us to, to remember and foundationalize from what we're reading. And that is, number one, is that you bear the image of an almighty God who loves you. Sounds like a simple statement, but don't, don't pass over it. You bear the image. Did you know that you bear the image of an almighty God who loves you? That's a, that's a big thing in trying to understand and grapple with this text. And, and I want to say something to us as men today. Men, God bless us when, when we begin to understand this. And here, here's the deal. I'm not trying to, to beat up men this morning. Because as a fellow man, I need this reminder. And at, in the context of this passage, you know, what Paul is referring to is that you know, the, the husband, the father... The slave owner, those were typically all one and the same. And so when you think about this, just even in the, the context of, of being a man and what that means, this household code was in place from a, a worldly perspective. This household co code was in place, easy for me to say, for the man to get everyone to do what he wanted. And what Paul comes along and says, is I, Paul doesn't want anything to do with that. 
He doesn't want anything to do with this. Does Paul ever tell the men to make the women and make the children or make the slaves do anything? Does he ever say that in the text? He does not. Why? Because our job is not to force everyone else to bend to our will. Our job is to submit to God's will and then invite everyone around us to do the same. And that's, that's completely different than what the, the concept of the day was. And here Paul is shaking this thing up. It, it's why I ask our children. Uh, I used to do it on a regular basis, and I, I did it again last night just to see if they remembered since it had been a while since I'd asked them. But I'll ask our, our children, and I'll say, who's, who's our princess? Who's my princess? And my daughter will say, I am. And I'll say, who's my little warriors? My sons will say, we are. I'll say, who's our queen? I'll say, mommy. And I'll say, bye-bye, mommy. And I'll say, who's our king? And they'll say, Jesus, Jesus. But then my daughter reminded me last night. She said, but daddy, you're our knight because you come in and kill the snakes when they get in our house. And I... <laughs> I've killed one snake in our house, but I'm thankful that that's what I'll be remembered for as the snake-killing knight. But we have to point our household to the proper authority, that the authority is in Christ. In verse 17, right before this passage, remember we're keeping things in context, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, he talks about set your minds, set your hearts on things above. And if you're setting your mind and you're setting your hearts on things above, you're going to put to death some things. You're going to get rid of some things. And then he says, now, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And where better to display that, where better to embrace that than in our own homes? And then Paul launches in to this section. And what we see in these few verses is that Jesus is like a drumbeat throughout the whole section. But him. Each household pairing is brought up short before God, and the instructions that Paul gives are all issued in what? In the name of Christ. Look at the first one, wives. Look at on the next slide. Wives, what does he say? As fitting in the Lord. Submit to your husband as fitting in the Lord. Now, in, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's going to do a more detailed summary of this household code. I don't know if there was something that was going on more in Ephesus that he felt like he needed to elaborate on this. Uh, but one of the things that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, it's a, it's a critical part. And oftentimes when I was growing up, this verse was kind of skipped and we went right to the next part. But the verse that was often skipped, Ephesians 5, talks about what? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That there's this mutual submitting to Christ. This mutual submitting to one another out of reverence for him, under his lordship, under his reign, under his rule. And that's radically different than, than just some dictator mentality that sometimes that we can have. He says, wives, it's fitting for the Lord. Then he says, children, obey your parents. Can I get a witness? Children, obey your parents. But what does he say? This pleases the Lord. It's not just something that you, you, you do because, uh, oh, this, oh I'm, i, I got to do all this because I was told. And no, no, no. It's when we obey that this is how, how God has set up our, 
are designed to grow in him is, is through the family. Now, I fully recognize, I'm not naive to know that there are situations that are deplorable, abuse, homes that are just completely in disarray. But this does not negate the fact that this is what God set up. This was his design for the family from the beginning. Children, obey your parents. This is pleasing to the Lord. Slaves, do what you're doing. We're going to talk about this in just a minute because I know this is a, a loaded word. Slaves, do, do everything that you're doing, not, not as you're working for human people, but, but as you're working for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then what does he say about masters? Masters, don't forget that you have a master. <laughs> don't forget that you are under authority. That you have a master in heaven. And so how could any person, how could any, I'm just talking as, even as a man, how could any man finish reading this, imagining that he is the Lord of his little domestic empire? <laughs> I mean, how can you do that? And so that brings us to takeaway number two, and that is that Christ alone holds ultimate authority over our home. That's for single adults. That's for senior adults. That's for married. That's for students, college, high school, middle school, below. That's that Christ holds the ultimate authority over our home, that he's the king, that he's the one that we look to. And so, as I mentioned a moment ago in Ephesians, Paul reminds the church to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And submitting to one another should never be demeaning or diminishing. It's appalling to me that, that women and children and slaves who have been treated horribly throughout history have been taught that their detestable treatment was not worldly, but biblical. Author Mark Maynell says this. He says, one significant problem that we have is that we in the West cannot divorce our view of slavery from the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade in the European colonies, as well as here in the South. It is a horror which had cruel repercussions that have lasted to this day. The brutal inhumanity of that sinful system was exacerbated by the fact that it was bound to deep-rooted racism. This was not the case in the Roman Empire where slavery was primarily the result of military conquest and economic suffering, but not necessarily due to race. This is not to suggest that slavery was a positive thing. Far from it. But Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired letter was not to explicitly denounce these household codes, but rather redeem them by pointing us to the supremacy of Christ. This church, the way that we treat others, the way that we treat people in our workplace, the way that we treat people in our neighborhoods, the way that we treat people in our homes, the way that we treat people on social media, hello, the way that we treat people matters. It matters. And church, this is true for every single one of us. Wives, husbands, children, parents, employees, employers, sacrificial and demanding love. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the cross. Which brings us to the third takeaway, and that is that the gospel 
consistently calls us and calls those with power to lay down their interests in order to raise others up. That's the call of the gospel. That's the call of the good news. That we are con continually laying down our power, looking not only to our own interests, but, but that we are having the same attitude as Christ Jesus, this path of downward mobility. That, and that's not the weakest thing you can do. That's actually the strongest thing that you can do. <laughs> because it's not your power, it's Christ's power living in you. And one of the ways that God continues to work on my heart is the way that I treat those around me. Like I said, this is true for all of us, no matter what your relationship status is. That we are all designed to, to treat one another in the way that Christ calls us to. Uh, I'm sure you, some, several of you recognize this picture on the screen of Steve Harvey, comedian. Now, I, I don't uh, agree with everything that's ever come out of Steve Harvey's mouth. Let me just say that. Um, and I know he's been under the gun with shows canceled and all that stuff lately. But I was struck by, by one of his stories about his growing up years. And when he was nine years old, he was in class, and his teacher asked all the class, as several of you teachers have probably done in the past, to, hey, Tell me what you want to do when you, when you grow up. And I want you to write it down on a piece of paper. And so the teacher had them all write it down. They all wrote it down and, and they passed it in to the teacher. And the teacher began to read those in the front of the classroom. And so she read things like, okay, I want to, I want to be a doctor. Or, or I want to be a lawyer. Or I want to be a, a football player. Or I want to be a teacher. Or I want to be, you know, and she just read all these things. Except for she did not read Steve's. Until the very end... She said, Steve, Harvey, come up to the front of the room. So Steve had to walk all the way to the front of the room. And he said in his mind he thought he was about to get a gold star. But when he got to the front of the room, what the teacher said, she said, Steve, what did you write on your paper? He said, I wrote, I want to be on TV. And she said, why did you write something so silly like that on your paper? So something so unbelievable. I want you to pin that on your shirt. And I want you to take it home to your mama, and I'm going to call your mama, and I'm going to tell her how silly you were being in class. So he had to pin that piece of paper on his shirt, and he goes home. He stands before his mom, and his mom says, why did you write that on your shirt? She said, I know about it. The teacher already called me. And she said, but mama, I, I want to be on TV when I grow up. She said, you just wait till your daddy gets home. And so he had to wait for a few hours. And it was when his dad got home, he, his dad came in and got the paper and went to the, the, the recliner and sat down. And then Steve's mom brings him in to his dad. His dad's name, they called him Slick. She said, Slick, she said, listen to what Steve wrote on his paper today in school. Tell him what happened, Steve. And so Steve said, Daddy, the, the teacher asked me what I want to what I want to do when I grow up. And I said, I want to be on TV. Steve's dad looked up from the paper and said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and so it was at that moment that Steve's mom and Steve's dad entered into an intense moment of fellowship. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so they sent Steve to his room while they were discussing things. 
Several minutes later, Steve's dad comes up to his room. He said, he said, son, what did your teacher want you to write? And he said, I don't know, dad, something like, you know, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a, a, a football player or something. I don't know. He said, I tell you what, you write that on, on another piece of paper and you take that and you give that to your teacher. But I want you to take this piece of paper, the one that said, I want to be on TV. I want you to take that piece of paper and I want you to put it in your drawer. And every morning when you get up and every night before you go to bed, I want you to look at that piece of paper. And from nine years old on, that's what he did. And now you can see Steve Harvey on TV every day of the week. You know what he said he does now, Steve Harvey? You know that teacher that called him out? He sends her a, a free flat screen TV every year for Christmas. <laughs> she says, Steve, I, don't, I, got, I got 20 TVs now. I don't know what to do with them. I got to give them away. Church, we are the family of God. And I want us to close by letting some of the students from the campus house remind us of what that means. Let's watch this video. Honestly, it has just made me feel less alone. And I'm not trying to sound like really sad, but college is a hard time for a lot of people transitioning. And it's given me a place to come and be around people and kind of like-minded people that we all just want to glorify Christ. Um, it's, it's kept me here. It's kept me alive. And even though that sounds really stupid, like it's true, Campus House has been my home away from home, and I would dare say that it's become my home more so than my own home has. Um, Campus House has helped my faith grow, helped me grow as a person, just like gain relationships that I don't think I'll ever lose. The people here that I've met are just lifelong friends. Um, when I think of the Campus House, I think of the word Safety. Loving, giving, open, accepting of literally everyone. Like, people say that and they don't know what it means, accepting of literally anyone you could think of. Um, loyalty and togetherness would be, would be a few other nouns that I would use. Community would be a really good one. Um, I, I think that that would be really, um, really descriptive um, of this place. Accepting, genuine, kind, Fun, open, loving, genuine, and Christ-following. I would say fun, community, I don't know, it's just a home. It's really a home away from home. It's just a bunch of ragtag people that don't belong together, but because of our love for God and our love for the UAB community, we've found a, a home. So the, the goal today is not that you walk away saying, you know what, I, I need to be a better husband or I need to be a better wife or I need to be a better child or I need to be a better employer or employee. That's not the goal today. The goal is that we walk away being reminded of how much we need Jesus Christ and that we need to submit to his authority that we need to submit to his reign and his rule, that we need to trust in him. You know what Christ said? He said, this is how they will know that you belong to me. 
if you love one another. If you love each other. That's how they'll know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is in our lives. We thank you that centuries ago that your spirit inspired a man named Paul to write some words to a church that was just getting started. And even hundreds of years later, those words are still meaningful and relevant for our lives today. Father, help us to be reminded that we are complete in Christ and that the gospel calls us to continually lay down our power so that we can help empower other people in your name. Father, I thank you for this church. It's an honor and a blessing to be able to serve and teach here. I pray that you'll convict all of us to place our trust more deeply in Jesus as we go into this week. It's in his name I pray. Amen.